Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast on LettermanRow.com. I am Jeremy Birmingham, your host. With me, as per usual, is Spencer Holbrook. Spencer, uh, Sunday night, day after the Ohio State-Michigan game, the world is on fire in the Big Ten, but recruiting sort of leveling out right now as a number of major coaching decisions have been made in the last 24 hours. Obviously not involving Ohio State, but on the periphery, the Buckeyes are involved potentially uh, in a number of them when you're talking about changes at Texas, Ole Miss, Rutgers, uh, and then who else comes down the line reports of, of Clay Helton being fired today that turned out to be erroneous. Boston what, College. Boston College. I mean, all these things, and we'll, we'll try to knock out each one as far as the, the relationship to Ohio State, but... Which of those uh, changes that have happened today do you think are the biggest and most important on the recruiting trail? I think it's probably Boston College for a weird reason, but, I mean, the AD at Boston College has Ohio State ties. Uh, there are a lot of guys on Ohio State staff that have Northeast ties, and I think it's just a perfect storm for a potential Ohio State departure, which affects recruiting far more than any assistant leaving another university does. If an assistant leaves Ohio State, that could spell trouble for for recruits down the line, the lucky for Ohio State, the early signing period makes it kind of hard to leave a commitment during uh, the coaching uh, season, I guess. Yeah, this is a major opportunity for coaches like Jeff Halfley, Al Washington, so on and so forth. Um, you know, Tony Alford's been mentioned as a potential replacement at Colorado State if that job comes open as expected. Alford, uh, and then again, Halfley and Washington have been mentioned already this evening on Sunday evening um, when it comes to the opening at Boston College where both of those guys have roots. Al Washington played there, coached there. And like, you know, you think about it, these guys have been at Ohio State, uh, Halfley and Washington for only one year. Uh, Both of them are relatively young. Neither of them have had coaching experience. I don't know why Boston College would want to hire somebody uh, who has no head coaching experience, especially after deciding to terminate Steve Adazio, who's the most successful head coach that I can think of in their history. Uh, I, I don't know what a program like that is doing because I don't, I don't think you're really going to get better than seven and five or eight and four at, at your best. So, um, you know, if, if you're just looking for an infusion of new blood, I guess I understand that. Halfley's reputation as a recruiter in the Northeast is well known. Now, Washington, again, as an alumnus, is somebody that I, I guess I see the allure, but. Uh, I don't, I don't know that either of those guys is particularly interested in making a move right now. I think that um, the Buckeyes are clearly in a position where they're doing something special, and those guys have only been on in the staff for a year. But then again, money talks, right? Yeah, and you know, Halfley has talked about how he's dreamed of coaching with Ryan Day again since they left each other in San Francisco. At the same time, Al Washington's father was is a Buckeye. Uh, you know, he grew up in Columbus, so it's not crazy to think. Just as much as you know, his alma mater is Boston College, he might have even more ties to Ohio State and want to stay there. Um, so the Boston College thing is interesting to me, but you could see a, a, not a Clemson situation, but a situation where these assistants, I think they kind of like working for Ryan Day. Yeah. And uh, if you don't have to go off and do your own thing this quickly, uh, you know, those jobs will open up again if it's the right fit for you. And right now, if you got something good going with Ryan Day, you might as well not stop yeah, I think the the biggest thing that happened on Sunday that people would be interested in ultimately is what happened in Austin, Texas, as that uh, coaching staff underwent some serious changes. Drew Maringer, the wide receivers coach, has been let go. Um, Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator, has been let go. Tim Beck has been pro- demoted from offensive coordinator and quarterback coach to just quarterback coach. But to me, that feels like it's a move being made um, – 
in an attempt to calm the waters uh, leading up until signing day because Tim Beck is so important when it comes to recruiting Bijan Robinson and the rest of Arizona and inside of Texas. And uh, I, I just wonder, you know, Tom Herman is going to be given pretty much a blank check, I think, here from the Texas uh, Board of Trustees and whatever they're called down there to just go out and get the right guys. But, you know, this is like one step away for Tom Herman. This is a, this is what Mark D'Antonio didn't do a year ago, which is saying you have an opportunity here to reset your your meter by getting rid of all the coaches that you tell us are the problem. And so um, I, I don't know if Tim Beck's going to stay there long term. I don't know if he's going to be there th- when next season starts. But for now, he's there. Obviously, Ohio State fans are interested in that because of Bajan Robinson. And to this point, Bajan Robinson has not made any decisions. Van Fillinger, uh, a defensive end from Utah who visited Ohio State this summer and committed to Texas, did decommit on Sunday night. But, you know, the Buckeyes are not really in a position right now where they're desperate for another lineman. So I don't know if you'll see them move there. But it's just crazy to watch this coaching carousel happen. Um, and, and every year, Ohio State assistants are sort of being – thrown out there is possibilities in pretty much every single potential opening you see. Yeah. And for Tom Herman, you know, this could be a huge development for Ohio state because Ohio state strikes when there's blood, right? There's blood in the water. Ohio state strikes. If there is turmoil at Texas, Ohio state's going to strike Texas. That's how they got Jeff Okuda. That's how they got JK Dobbins. Obviously urban Myers pool had something to do with that, but they smell blood in the water. They get there as quickly as they possibly can. And for Tom Herman, there's kind of three steps to being fired in a major program. There's change your assistance, there's the vote of confidence, and then there's the firing. And yeah. so, you know, this is step one for Tom Herman. It doesn't look uh, – that's not a very uh, welcoming sign to me if I'm a recruit uh, thinking, you know, okay, he just fired his entire assistant coaching staff. That tells you that uh, something's not going right there. So it's going to be an interesting development to follow. And like I said – if Ohio State thinks that something's going to happen with Tom Herman or thinks that uh, it's pretty unstable in Austin, you could see them uh, go down there for not 2020 because that class is kind of wrapped up, but 2021, you could see them. You know, Ohio State's within striking distance of uh, making a big play in Texas again. Yeah, absolutely. Tumiche Adelaide down there in Texas. Landon Jackson down there in Texas. Nice with the name. Donovan Jackson. You nailed the name. Thank you. Donovan Jackson down there in Texas. A lot of guys that are on the periphery right now and, and sort of moving into the the bullseye range for the Buckeyes. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Donovan Jackson was somebody that seeing this unrest in Texas and with his Ohio ties, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the Buckeyes 2021 class sooner rather than later. And if that happens and you have these dominoes start to fall uh, and, and then you look at guys like I just mentioned, like Landon Jackson, the five-star defensive end, or, or Adelaide, the other the five-star defensive end, and all of a sudden, with with Tom Herman not really having it seem like anything is, is going the right direction. I don't think Texas is a year away from winning the Big 12. They certainly don't appear to be closing the gap on, on Oklahoma when it comes to on-the-field development or, or, or game plan or anything like that. So I think it just bears watching. And then you still have the USC thing, which appears to not be happening. But if that does, then all of a sudden the backup plan for Bajan Robinson changes potentially and everything kind of goes haywire. And then you add into the fact that Zeke Evans or Zachary Evans, whatever you want to call him, the number one ranked running back in the country is going to make his college choice on Wednesday. If he ends up picking LSU, then that removes another one of the options really for, for Bajan where he was thinking as a, as a backup, if things go uh, awry at Texas and who knows, maybe Ohio state lucks into him uh, at some point in this uh, next few weeks, but it's certainly interesting to watch these dominoes fall and how they impact recruitment. But um, 
we'll, we'll get away from that for now because it's something that could just be talked about forever. But uh, I, I don't know if Buckeyes fans should feel uh, worry at this point about Jeff Halfley or Al Washington or Tony Alford, anybody else, because that group is pretty centrally focused on winning the Big Ten and, and getting into the college football playoffs. So let's talk quarterback because that's what everyone loves hearing about all the time. C.J. Stroud is the guy. Uh, we've talked about ad nauseum here. He was expected to make an official visit to Oregon this weekend and did not go. And he said that on Twitter that he was not making his visit, uh, never said why. And if, you know, doing a little light reading on the Oregon message boards, they didn't even mention the fact that he didn't go. So it doesn't seem like it was a, um, you know, a major loss for them in their mind, or maybe people are just focused on other things going on this weekend. But uh, it is interesting, the timing of this, because this was the weekend that had been penciled in to visit Oregon for quite some time with a trip to Michigan next week and an official visit to Ohio State the week after that of the 14th. And then it's signing day. So when does he get over and visit Oregon? Or did the official visit to Georgia that he just took change things in a way that, you know, maybe moves the Bulldogs into the conversation? I think it would be the latter. I think it probably, the trip to Georgia probably changed. I think it's kind of funny how uh, I don't want to think that people think we're petty by talking about Michigan on this podcast, but he's visiting Michigan because Ohio State has other plans. And then he gets to go to Ohio State the week after those plans are fulfilled. fulfilled. So he'll be visiting Michigan when Ohio State's competing for a net, for a Big Ten championship, and they'll find out that they're in the big the college football playoff. While Michigan finds out, they'll probably, from what I've seen, go to the Holiday Bowl, and then he will visit Ohio State the next weekend. And not only will that be used as a recruiting tool, but they'll be able to show him what they did the weekend before while he was visiting Michigan, the school Ohio State just beat. So I think that this doesn't have as much to do with Oregon as it has to do with Georgia. It has to do with Michigan, and ultimately, it has to do with who we both believe, I think, is going to win this recruiting battle, and that's Ohio State. Yeah, and I think so far what we've seen is that everything has sort of turned in the Buckeyes' direction when it comes to how how these little uh, facets of C.J. Stroud's recruitment have shaped up. And and this is another one of them where Oregon for months has been kind of considered as the the main opponent by Ohio State in this recruitment. And for him to not make an official visit there this weekend and their rivalry weekend – uh, is telling, and I don't know if he had planned on getting there, you know, uh, during the week, one of these weeks coming up. But Oregon's going to be playing in the Pac-12 championship game next weekend, and so he can't make that visit then. He can't switch the uh, Michigan visit off and head over to Oregon next weekend. So it is worth watching. CJ's not very talkative. He's not a guy that wants to have a bunch of people in his business. But it is worth noting that he, you know, promoted the fact that he wasn't going to Oregon, and to me, that's telling in a way. Um, because I, I don't see him as the type of person who does that unless that there's a, a reason he's kind of making it known. And so I, I'm going to just go on a limb and say that Oregon is out in that recruitment. And now if that's the case, which, you know, it's, again, just me reading tea leaves, I think it turns into a three-team battle between Ohio State, Michigan, and Georgia. And one thing to really pay attention to is Jake Fromm. Because if Jake Fromm leaves Georgia, like that was the plan all year. I mean, that uh, going into the season, that was certainly what people thought was going to happen. But right now, I don't believe that it is going to happen. I don't think Jake Fromm is going to get the grade he was looking for from the NFL. And I think he's going to return to Georgia. And if that happens, then I don't think C.J. Stroud has there. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think, to me, all signs point to Oregon being out, Michigan being next on the board. But it seems to me more so that this is an Ohio State versus a Georgia battle and the Michigan 
uh, trip is is kind of sandwiched in between that. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. I still think the Buckeyes have the upper hand right now. Um, everything that you guys said when you went out to Southern California pointing in the Buckeyes' direction, I don't think uh, everything – you know, we can only go off of what C.J. Stroud has told us. Right. And what what he's told us – uh, if you read between the lines, is that Ohio State's a front runner, and I think we're I can I think we should just stick with that for now. But like, yeah, it's interesting that he didn't make that trip to Oregon because that's closer to home, and he obviously does not have that at all as a priority. It's Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. If you do the math, they're two thousand miles at least away. So uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that the one thing to to note here is that I, I don't want to discount and say Michigan doesn't have any chance here. Uh, he's not going to make that visit unless he's interested in seeing what they're about, but. From a relationship standpoint, he is starting uh, a little bit behind with the Wolverines, and I don't know that he's going to walk into a situation next weekend knowing that that Dylan McCaffrey is a, a sophomore and Joe Milton is a sophomore uh, heading into next season. Does that does that depth chart look better um, than Ohio State? Sir, you can say, well, neither of these guys have played. You have a, a a chance to come in and beat them and win the job, and and Harbaugh will you know use his uh, quarterback. Um, success that he's had, I guess, uh, as some sort of recruiting pitch. But um, I, I think that, again, we're talking about the car, right? Comfort and relationships. Ohio State has that over both of those schools right now. Uh, and I think that that gap is growing. So it's about the Buckeyes getting that official visit the final weekend uh, before the signing day period begins December 18th. And if everything goes as planned, I still think C.J. Stroud signs with the Buckeyes. So that's the quarterback update for the week. Any other position right now, we're kind of in a holding pattern because the numbers are just trying to shake out. But as we have been doing, we're going to break down the next group, uh, the next position group for Ohio State in the class of 2020 and start talking about those receivers uh, that Ohio State has committed and are three weeks away from signing. And all four of them are a month away from enrolling early. It is quite simply, Spencer, the best wide receiver group uh, signing class uh, probably in the recruiting internet recruiting era. Yeah, you can talk about the 2017 Alabama class with Henry Ruggs and a couple of those other guys and probably compare the two. I would think they're, they seem pretty comparable right now. I know you've been following it longer than I have. Would you make that comparison, I think? Well, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, if you're talking pure rankings, Ohio State now has, with recent re- ranking readjustments, Jackson Smith and Jigba has been moved all the way up to the number three ranked wide receiver in the country. So you have Julian Fleming as number one, Jackson Smith and Jigba at number three, G Scott at number five, and Mookie Cooper fell down to number 26 because he didn't play this year. Because he didn't play this year, exactly. But he's still regarded pretty, uh, pretty widespread as the best slot receiver in this class. And, um, you know, I, I think that that Bama class we're talking about, those guys are almost all. Uh, slot guys, except for Judy, who is uh, obviously proven to be a pretty damn good receiver on the outside. But with Waddell uh, and uh, the other guys in that class, I think that you're looking at, uh, oh, sorry, Waddell is 2018. But um, with Ruggs and, and Devontae Smith, I think you're looking at guys that are more inside guys. And, I, you know, when you're talking just prototypical, big time college football receiver builds, uh, skills, and style. What the six foot two, two hundred and ten pound Fleming, six foot two, two hundred and five pound Jackson Smith and Jigba, and the six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pound G Scott. Like these are men. I mean, th- this group is is really special, and it's not just the fact that they are physical freaks and that they you know they test well, they ran well at the opening, they did all those numbers. But these dudes put up crazy numbers in high school, and 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 they've done it in a way 
that has been dominant from the wide receiver position, which is hard to do in high school. And, and it, to me, this class can be, you can look at Ohio State's roster right now and you can see how impressive the class is for 2020 because, you know, the rumblings around the around are, you know, who's going to transfer from the wide receivers. And you know you have a special class coming in when that's starting to be talked about. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty impressive that these guys are going to come in and, and not play right away, but these guys are going to have an impact. And I think you're finally starting to see Brian Hartline put a full imprint on who he wants in the wide receiver room. You know, the kind of guy he wants, the six foot two, six foot three, two hundred and ten pound, uh kind of like what Austin Mack is right now, kind of like what uh Ben Victor is right now, but you also get the mix in the KJ Hill type when you get Mookie Cooper in there. And it seems like Brian Hartline is taking what uh, his predecessor had in the room and just elevating it so much higher than anybody could have probably imagined Brian Hartline could do. And uh, to see him do this on the recruiting trail, I, there aren't really words to describe it because he's he's blowing people away and he's blowing recruits away. And it's obvious that he's doing something right because Julian Fleming left the state of Pennsylvania. Mookie Cooper is coming from St. Louis. I mean, these guys aren't all Ohio guys. These are guys from around the country that are saying, okay, I see what you're doing, Hart- Brian Hartline. Let me come be a part of that. Yeah, to go out and get the best receiver on the West Coast in in G. Scott, the best receiver in Texas. Uh, you know, that's some some will say Demond Demas, but uh, Demas like Mookie Cooper hasn't played this year, so you can sort of take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and then in Jackson Smith and Jigba being that guy in Texas, and then the best receiver on the East Coast in Julian Fleming. Fleming is the first receiver in Pennsylvania history to catch for five thousand yards in his career, and he's done that in a triple option offense, basically, which is nuts. I mean, they throw the ball to one guy, and that's him. Everybody knows it's coming when he's getting the ball. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is breaking every record in Texas in six A uh, football, the biggest class in 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 that state, and which is obviously one of the best talent rich states in the country. It, it's pretty amazing, and as I said, all four of these guys are enrolling early, and that is. Really important for a receiver room that is going to lose Benjamin Victor, going to lose uh, Austin Mack, going to lose K.J. Hill, going to lose C.J. Saunders most likely. Uh, And then you just don't know what happens with the other guys. You don't know where Jalen Harris and Jalen Gill and Elijah Gardner are. You don't know if Cameron Babb is going to return. You do know you have uh, superstars in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And then you have these four that are coming in with an opportunity and uh, availability to step up and be really impactful young players. And you can just see it now. One of those four dudes, or maybe two of them, are going to be the ones tearing up Michigan and Ohio Stadium a year from now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you consider the six wide receivers on the field next year. It could be Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and the four freshmen. But that could be the case because these guys are talented. Uh, they seem a couple of them seem ready to go from the get go. Yeah, and that's the thing. And these are all physically developed guys. There's no none of these guys are going to come in and need to hit the weight room. Like Chris Olave is still not really where they want him to be physically. Uh, obviously, which is scary to right, think about. Right, it's obviously not slowing him down. But Olave has not been able to really put on the weight that they w- would love to see. He's in that six two one seventy five range, and they'd like to see him, you know, put on more weight, but. Uh, Fleming and G. Scott and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper, these guys are all college ready when it comes to their bodies, and that's a big adjustment that they won't have to deal with. The same can be said with Cameron Martinez, who's uh, one of the best two-way athletes in the country. I think he's probably going to play defense at Ohio State to start his career, but he can play offense, and he's a guy that if you give him the ball, all of a sudden you have another weapon, and, and I think that just has to be terrifying for the Big Ten. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy when you consider that last year Ohio State had one Garrett Wilson coming in, and now it seems like they have 
for Garrett Wilson. And not to say that they're all four of those guys are Garrett Wilson, but Garrett Wilson was ready to go from the jump. Yeah, absolutely. And by by jump by jump, I mean the jump he made over the walk on defensive back in the spring game. Yeah, he was ready from that point. And to have four guys that all seem, uh, you know, cookie cutter ready to go by the time they get to campus, it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, Garrett showed up in January and turned people's heads from the minute he walked onto campus. And I think that this group's going to do the same thing. I want to talk a little bit more uh, tonight, and then we'll we'll wrap up this edition of Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast on Letterman Row. But we're going to talk about that game, the game that we watched in Ann Arbor on Saturday. And, um, you know, just from a talent standpoint, this is the first time you've watched Ohio State and Michigan play live. Were you surprised at what you saw on the field as far as the just flat-out talent gap? I saw men moving people who think they're men. Like the offensive line for Ohio State on the first drive of the game, which I actually just watched before we got on this podcast. I watched the first drive. And to see Michigan's off defensive line get a sack of Justin Fields, and then Ohio State's offensive line say, you know what, that's enough. You had your sack. You got one sack, and that's what you're going to get. And from the, that moment on, Ohio State ran the ball and did whatever it wanted because in the trenches, Ohio State was so much better. And that can be pointed to in recruiting. That can be, and you know, we will focus on the recruiting aspect of it, but every phase in the trenches, Ohio State dominated. And that's what made the difference in the game. And I could tell, you know, on the field, well, we, we didn't get to go on the field, but in the press box, you could see it. Ohio State's offensive line just mauled Michigan. They, it, they bulldozed them. And I think that's the biggest difference in the talent gap because Donovan Peoples-Jones could play at Ohio State. Nico Collins could play at Ohio State. And I think he could be a star in Ohio State's offense. Those receivers are good enough to play at Ohio State. Well, the running backs I don't think are at all. But those receivers are good enough. Some of the defensive backs, Josh Metellus is a good defensive back. Kalik Hudson is a good bullet player. But when it comes to the offensive and defensive line, there's not one Michigan offensive lineman that will play at Ohio State. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at the talent uh, that's been recruited and brought into these programs in the last eight years since Urban Meyer got there, the 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 gap, because you look at it from the Big Ten rankings, right? And if you look at the 247 sports composite rankings, it's been Ohio State number one, Michigan either number two or number three for the last eight years, with the exception of last year when Ryan Day only signed 16 guys, right? So this class of people, this class of athlete is just different. And, and you look at the Big Ten rankings and it's one and two. And so you don't, I think, grasp the the difference or you don't grasp how large the gap is between one and two. But if you start to put at it, put it in a national context, it becomes a much larger gap. And I think that it's hard for people to, to understand how or why a program like Michigan is being beaten so badly on the field. And it's because they're being beaten so badly in the recruiting game. Ohio state is going out and taking pretty much whoever they want. If they're in a head to head battle with Michigan for any player in the country that isn't really from Michigan, they're going to win that battle. And that's just, it's a change that started 15 years ago with Jim Trestle, uh, and, and it's just continued. And then you put into the fact that Ohio State has the player development piece so well sorted out with Mick Marotti leading the way. Um, I, I just, and, we, and Austin and I talked about this in the, the rapid reaction after the game, but it just doesn't look like that gap is getting uh, closed. It looks like it's widening. 
And I think the big notion is that it is wide. You're seeing columns written by national media. You're seeing people who had seen Ohio State play for the first time this year who were in that press box that said, oh, my gosh, this is so much different. And the gap from when Harbaugh got there to now, it just seems like it's getting bigger. It, it just seems like it's it's almost insurmountable at this point. Uh, I, I saw somebody write that that something wrong would have something would have to go wrong at Ohio State for Michigan to catch up. I, I think I completely agree with that. But hasn't what would haven't have things to, already gone wrong? <laughs> I mean, and that's think that's about what's thing. already happened. You had the Zach Smith debacle. You had the you you've had uh, various things go wrong at Ohio State. Like Tatgate should have made that gap. Like should have switched them. Ohio State had some sanctions that they could have went through, and it should have just switched the programs. And Michigan could have went to the Rose Bowl and beaten Oregon and done everything that Ohio State's done, but it just didn't. And Ohio State, out of that, got Urban Meyer. Maybe that's a lucky bounce, right? You know, sure. It turned out for a good thing in the long run, right? Yeah, but then they went out and hired Ryan Day, and everybody in Michigan said, "Okay, now we can close the gap." Harbaugh versus this first-year head coach, and Ryan Day said, "No, I, I think I think you still have Don Brown's defense, and I think you still have the players that you've had." I think we're going to be okay. And he just shrugged it off and uh, put 56 on Michigan and is bringing in a better class than, than Harbaugh is in year one. And I think, you know, people can point this year to Urban's players and say, these were Urban's players, Ryan Day. But now you can't do that anymore. Ryan Day's putting a class together that's just as impressive, if not more impressive than most classes that Urban Meyer put together. So, you know, what's the next thing that, that's on Michigan's list to, to pin the, to pin the tail on? Because you're, you're not going to pin it on, having a second-year head coach because he's 1-0 against Ohio State now when your guy's 0-5. Right. And it just seems like that gap just continues to widen. And I don't see a way now that it gets any closer in the next four years or three or four recruiting cycles at least. Yeah, and how much longer does Michigan allow for that gap to be there before they address it in, in the most severe way? And, and Berm, next next year is the 20th anniversary of Michigan's last win in Columbus. That's wild. I mean, and, it's just and wild. I bring, I bring that up because that tells you how long this has gone on, not on the field, but in recruiting. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I understand the reluctance from the Michigan uh, bigwigs to, to make that sort of move because you, if you admit that Jim Harbaugh can't do the job that you hired him for and he can't be the guy to stop this cycle, then who can? Yeah, so. and, and the, the, the last thing I'll say about that is, when Michigan hosts Ohio State every other year, it is Michigan's biggest recruiting weekend of the year. When Ohio State hosts Michigan every other year, it is Ohio State's biggest recruiting weekend of the year. Yeah. You think they don't know that? So every recruit that went and visited Michigan just watched Ohio State spank them. And it's almost – it's a lot of the same guys. It's a lot of the and same so they guys. Went to Ohio, they went to Ohio State the week before and saw Ohio State lay it on Penn State, and then they went up to Ann Arbor this past weekend and watched Ohio State lay it on Michigan. Yeah, and How they, can you- they had to listen to OHIO go around the stadium uh, as loud as it's ever been in that stadium, and the Michigan band tried to drown it out and just couldn't. And it's and crazy. I think it's crazy. You know, this isn't this is an Ohio State recruiting podcast, so I think there is a little bit of a, the Ohio State slant to it. Sure. But you can't even be a Michigan. We we could get a Michigan recruiting analyst on here, and he would say the exact same thing, because you can't just have multiple recruits watch what happened and it not be effective. You talk about how a single game can affect a lot of people, a lot of recruits. But we just found out this past week with Pete Werner that it can. Yeah, I mean, and so it's not even. But the, the the big thing here is that's not at this point. It stops being one game. 
right? Like this is not yeah, one game. This for is sure. this is seventeen of the last nineteen years. These recruits who are being brought to these visits at Ohio State and Michigan have seen Michigan win one time in their life, and that begins to. I, I mean, I, I guess you. I'm speaking. You know, I maybe I'm assuming, but you'd think that that starts to burrow into your brain a little bit. Like, holy crap, why uh, is this team ever going to win this game? And it has to change the perception. I can tell you just from talking to recruits around the state of Michigan, like they, there aren't kids anymore who grow up in Michigan going, oh, I hate Ohio State. Like, it just doesn't exist. There's there's kids now who, oh, yeah, I've always liked the Buckeyes. I've always watched them. I always liked they thought they were good. I, it's just not the way it was 20 years ago. And things have, have certainly changed. I don't know how Jim Harbaugh gets it back. Uh, and I guess for Ohio State fans, they shouldn't care if he does. So let's wrap it up. We've been here almost 30 minutes, and that's a lot of stuff to be talking. So I am Jeremy Birmingham for LettermanRow.com. That is Spencer Holbrook. This has been Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast. We appreciate you watching, listening. Please like, subscribe, rate. Uh, we'll talk to you folks again later this week. Have a good one. Thanks, Bert.